The Flyover Libertarian, Episode 4. Hey, what's up? This is the Flyover Libertarian Podcast, where two unimportant people from an unimportant place give you the opinion that you didn't ask for. I'm Josh, a.k.a. Ioan Cap. And I'm the Rural Rothbard. Today we're talking about anarcho-capitalism, libertarianism, and how it relates to conservatism. This is a subject that we'll periodically get questions about or comments about on the page, where when we're talking about... Well, okay, it'll happen in one of two ways. Either we'll be talking about something and talking about hating the state and things like that, and somebody will make the comment, wait a minute, I thought you were libertarians, not anarchists. Or it'll go the other direction, where we're making some comment about libertarianism, and they'll say, so that's why you don't be a libertarian and be an anarchist instead. Um, and and uh, I think that comes from a little bit of confusion about, first of all, whether or not you can be both, and also what libertarianism is, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. So would you say anarcho-capitalism is a subset of libertarianism? Yeah. The way I would understand it is like this. Um, libertarianism, and I, and I explain this pretty often, so maybe if you're a frequenter of our page, you've seen this before. But before libertarianism is anything, it is actually a moral view. It's a moral view about what is justified aggression, whether or not you can own property uh, and whether or not you can use violence in, in various situations. And largely libertarianism says, well, we are what, what's called you know, private property absolutists. We believe that private property is, well, all rights are based on property rights, is how many libertarians will say it, that you have a right to self-ownership, to ownership of what is yours either by mixing your labor with unclaimed land or unclaimed things, or through purchase, through... Um, voluntary exchange of goods and no one has the right to commit aggressive violence against someone's person or property. And then from there it becomes a legal theory that it's a, that this is, well, really we would say that this is the basis of legality. This is why we say all rights are property rights. Um, whoever owns the property has the right to say what goes on on it and anything that any violence committed against a person's body or property is, that is illegal. And that's the definition of what is illegal. And that's really all libertarianism is, is a statement about property rights and violence, and specifically aggressive violence. Sometimes people say it's about don't hurt people, don't take their stuff, which is, I think, close. But it's more don't hurt someone unless they've, threatened to hurt you or have hurt you. If it's a, in response to aggression, then, then violence is permissible. Like it's libertarianism isn't necessarily pacifism though. I know many like, you know, Robert Murphy would be both pacifists and libertarians. They aren't necessarily the same thing. And, and uh, I think the confusion comes from the fact that um, when most people think of libertarianism, they think of, well, minarchism. 
That's what they think it is. They think it's equivalent with minarchism or some sort of extreme constitutionalism or just, you know, small government, high freedom is, is a lot of the things that we'll, we'll hear said. And that's not necessarily wrong. I think minarchists are libertarians, but I also think that anarchists are libertarians. If, if you're an anarchist on the basis of property rights and the non-aggression principle. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, and have you seen, that was actually a discussion that came up in the Reformed Libertarianism Facebook group where C.J. Engel was talking about um, the basis of libertarianism being either property rights or the non-aggression principle. Did you see that discussion? Um, no, I don't think I did. Um, and so you're you're arguing that it it has to be property rights first. Yes, I I would primarily. I would take that side. Yeah, and and I think that's where I think that's what C.J. Yeah. Engel said. And I think that's yeah. where like Stephen Kinsella, I think Rothbard would also land there. That really what we're doing is we're starting with the fact that a person has a right to their own body and to their own property, and then aggression is because they have a right. Aggression is not allowed because they have a right to their body and their property, and aggression is a violation of that right. Yeah, yeah. So the non-aggression principle comes yeah. out of um, property like it's, rights. It's still like, yeah, it's base, still very yeah. central to libertarianism, but I, I think it, it's important that we don't get the cart before the horse. You know, like, it, aggression is aggression because you're violating my property rights. Not because you're telling me something, you know... I don't want to hear, or you're telling me not to do something that I really want to do. That's not aggression. Uh, I mean, spe very specifically. Okay, let's let's get real weird here. Let's say you want to walk into my house and put pornography on my TV. It's not aggression for me to to make you turn it off, and even if necessary, to use force to make you turn it off, because it's my house, and I don't want my kids watching that. And then if you're like, well, that's not very libertarian of you. No, that's incredibly libertarian of me. That is as libertarian as I can be. It's my property. I can do what I want there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because it's it's private private property. That that reminds me of a similar thing where I'm a pretty big fan of nonprofits uh -huh. and cooperatives, and I think that those are actually very very libertarian and very free market because they're a private use of the right. means of production. That are they're just working out their ends through different different means, but Absolutely. within the the same system of private yeah. property. So I think those are two different ways to think about. The point isn't, um, you know, you can do whatever you want, and the point isn't you can you should seek profit always. Some kind of messed up yeah. Ayn Rand thing. It's it's just like private property rights because you you own yourself and you own your stuff. Yeah, in fact, libertarianism really. Like, and this is where I always like say libertarianism per se really doesn't have anything to say about things like making a profit, about making money. Yeah. Like libertarianism point. per se just says, I can't be upset if you use your property to make a profit. Like I can't say whether or not that's good or bad. This is why I, um, yeah, thin it's called thin, ideology, right? thin ideology is that it, it doesn't cover the question of whether or not you should make a property that way. Like, 
let's take an, an example that I think both of you, both you and I agree on, which is um, prostitution. Now, libertarianism per se would say, well, no one's being aggressed, so they should be allowed to sell sex for money. And I would say, absolutely. But you know what? As a Christian, I also think that's a pretty terrible way to make money. And I actually think it's incredibly immoral. And I really, uh, well, if, <laughs> if the town I lived in was famous for prostitution, I would probably either want to move or I would do whatever I could to end that. Short of aggression. I wouldn't use aggression to end it. I wouldn't use the violence of, of the state or violence of any kind. But I would do my best to convince people that there's a better way to live, that there's a better way to make money. I would try and convince these women to get out of the trade, things like that. Like, I think that's immoral. I think it's a terrible way to live. I think it's awful. And I would do whatever I could to end it. That doesn't make me not libertarian. That makes me not just a libertarian. Yeah. And that's actually the really beautiful thing about the ideology is you you also believe that that's the best way to end terrible yeah. things like that, right? Is to bring it out in the open and you're, you're able to address the problem better and you're able to address the problem without infringing on other people's right. rights. Even if that's a right to do a terrible yeah, thing. absolutely. And, yeah. Similarly, we also believe that um, the right to your own property actually distributes resources in a more right. equitable way. It's not just about yeah. being selfish. It, and to many of us, it's not about being selfish yeah. at all. We actually believe that the most prosperity comes through um, the private voluntary allocation Absolutely. of resources. And and that's where um, that's where I think that a lot of also a lot of libertarians get confused is is or, or people who call themselves libertarians and um I, I know it's like very uncool to have purity tests nowadays but i think that's a bit as a baseline purity test um whether or not you are a private or a property rights absolutist and a non-aggressionist in that sense that is libertarianism if you're not that you're not a libertarian and you can call yourself any number of things like you can call yourself an anarchist or an anti-statist, and even an anarcho-capitalist, if you want to, but that's not libertarian. And that's why I emphasize that even though we are both anarcho-capitalists, we emphasize that we are the flyover libertarian is because we happen to think that part of it is probably more important. Like I, if I had to say, you know, obviously I'm, I'm against the state because it is this massive institution of aggression and because it lays claim on private property um, that it has no right to lay claim to. But I want to front load that private property and self-ownership and non-aggression part of it. Um, and because, honestly, I'll take a consistent minarchist over um, an inconsistent anarchist anyway. You know, uh, I think yeah. like uh, Murray Rothbard in his book, or not his book, his uh, essay, do you hate the state says he'll take a radical minarchist over a, over a, a, a I don't know his words, but like a, 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 a squishy anarchist. And I would say I, I tend, I would say I would take a libertarian minarchist over a non-libertarian anarchist. Um, because I know that the, the former is probably going to be my ally a lot longer 
and the latter. Yeah. Yeah, there's some screwy anarchists that don't emphasize or don't believe in property yeah, I mean, rights at all. Leftist anarchists, and one. In order to maintain that, you need authoritarianism. Yeah. So <laughs> you need authoritarianism to maintain yeah. that. But I mean, so. I would also say, like, oh. there's also. The fact is, once you get out of the strict Republican versus Democrat paradigm, uh, you'll find yourself making alliances all over the place with people who are not exactly what you are. You know, I'll. I, I know a lot of right-ish anarchists on Twitter that I, I like talking to, though that, that they wouldn't con- call themselves libertarians. And it's not just because they're confused about whether or not you can be both libertarian and anarchist. They actually know what libertarianism is, and they're not that. Uh, and I also know... Hmm, what's that? Interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I, I saw so... someone... There's also where, like, you know, we are talking about anti-war in our last episode i think uh, uh two episodes ago yeah um and you know we also find ourselves uh allying with certain leftists on that regard you know more like what do you call the uh old peacenik leftists you know that we would we would find alliances yeah. there that sometimes we'll leave some of our, our rightist friends who are with us on things like culture war and and free speech and things like that We'll leave them behind when it comes yeah. to war. I just heard this week that I just heard this week that Bernie said he wouldn't. He, Bernie said he would veto the Patriot Act. I'm like, don't uh, make me like. You. Did he really? Yeah, he said he would veto huh. it, and yeah, there there's enough um, Democrats in in Congress against it, and enough Republicans in Congress against it. It actually is is likely that they would not be able to override it. So. That's just an interesting, yeah, thing that could play out. But so contrasting the, you know, agreements you can make with, or the, the common ground that you can find with leftists, you also have, um, a lot of similar values, with conservatives. Mm-hmm. And so, um. You know, I came up with this phrase a while ago, that's, anarcho-capitalism is just consistent libertarianism and libertarianism is just consistent conservatism. So what do you mm-hmm. see the, the connection there? How do you, how do you make the leap from conservative to libertarian to anarcho-capitalist? What's the common thread there? Well, um, this is where, uh, conservative philosophy. I am probably not as well versed at as I could, so I know I'm going to maybe if, if any true philosophical conservatives are listening, they might. Um, yeah, um, if, if that and if any of them are listening, um, you know, uh, but, you know, like there's there's sort of a, you know, conservatism. This is uh, Kirk. Uh, Russell Kirk would say that conservatism isn't an ideology. And. Um, and, and I guess to an extent, I, I get what he means by that. It's sort, which is sort of its, um, that's its strength and its weakness, because it's not an ideology. It's hard to pin down. It's more of a sensibility, and so there's there tends to be something very in 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 old old right conservatism. There's a sort of realism 
um there's there's not this uh like a messianic sort of view um like like uh you know the great wars so called you know those were progressive wars because they were about remaking the world in America's image and that's what this whole middle eastern thing has been about that but conservatism is much more like uh realistic as opposed to messianic there's an expect there's an understanding of human nature that it's that mere education isn't going to fix it that there is something selfish in in nature and and this this for me harmonizes very easily with my views of of humans from a from a Christian perspective that we are are all sinful by nature we're fallen by nature and there's something uh broken inside of us that just educating or if i just free the populace of iraq they're going to do good things no they're not they're still sinful broken human beings and so the conservative impulse would would say let's do less fixing the world and more focusing on being a good neighbor focus on on my community and so there's a, a very strong decentralization focus to true conservatism that let's not be the united states of america Let's be Iowa. Let's be Southeast Iowa, Northwest Iowa. Let's be wherever we are and let's be that as much as we can. Let's let's focus on building up our neighborhood. And there's a lot there that I think libertarianism would say, yeah, absolutely. Or specifically anarcho-capitalism, especially uh, show our cards of the more Hoppian variety where we see how a stateless society would probably have to be centered very small on on private um well hop called them covenant hoppa called them covenant communities and this is very conservative this idea and so we would say the reason why i would say that sort of conservative impulse of de decentralization is uh it would be consistently fulfilled in libertarianism would be to say well, yeah, and there shouldn't be a state over top of it that is lusting for power. You know, what, what happened in the old city-states is, uh, of Greeks, uh, you know, the Greek city-states is, you know, they would start lusting after the territory of their neighbors, and they inevitably want to become an empire and start controlling more and more area until one empire gains uh, dominion over another, and they become a vassal state, and this is what happens with, with states. They always lust for more and more power. Whereas a stateless covenant community, one that's based on, you know, voluntary covenanting between, um, honestly, I would, you know, probably between families. I think most, most covenant communities would be family-based. Um, would be, you know, there's no lust for power there. There's a focus on your house, focus on your family, and focus on being a good neighbor. That's, that would be, there conservative values that they at least espouse are conservatives are saying the government should hold these values and uphold these values and libertarians say the government can't yeah uphold these values so we need to do it this way yeah. and maybe a minarchist would say well the government can't but we have to have the government do xyz yeah but an anarcho-capitalist says the government can't, the government shouldn't, the state, excuse me, a government will, but a, a state right. 
a state can't. The incentives aren't there for it to. Yeah. The state isn't have the incentives aligned to uphold property rights yeah. for every human being yeah. without that being corrupted. Um, and that's why that's why I say it's just a a line of more getting more consistent because a mm-hmm. a conservative already has a classical conservative already yeah. has basically the principles that we're looking for the the ones that we we agree with but our execution differs wildly by the point by the time you get to anarcho capitalism yeah and, and I think that there is this is where I think. Sometimes people get weary of labels, um, but they're not extreme J types like I am. So I actually love labels because it helps me to understand who is on my team at what point <laughs> and to sort of see who am I going to have the most in common with. And this is where I think uh, right libertarianism, which is libertarianism from the right, is a helpful label and even better, something like a conservative libertarian or a libertarian conservative or what, whichever order you want to put things in is, is helpful is because I know when I'm talking to them, they're going to agree with me on the fact that property rights and personal and, uh, aggre- and non-aggression is the right of every individual. I know they're going to agree with me on the evil of the state, um, whether or not they are a full anarchist libertarian or a minarchist libertarian. And they agree with me that degenerate lifestyle does not tend toward the abolition of the state and the promotion of private property rights. Like moral degeneracy ultimately creates a high time preference society, a society that wants everything now. I, I, you know, that doesn't wait, doesn't, uh, yeah. And also is a low trust society. They don't trust their neighbors. Like the the rugged individualist, the one who does not, you know, puts a fence up and doesn't want to talk to their neighbor. Like that type of society is not going to flourish as an anarcho-capitalist society. That's an interesting, like, specific viewpoint from the, like, the right libertarian. Yeah. I never thought about that. What is? Um, like being against moral degeneracy right. because it it actually um yeah i don't know yeah just what you're saying and i mean to put my cards on the table i would be against it even if it wasn't aiding me well yeah going but forward. it's it's interesting that you find a, a connection between you know your, yeah. your thin ideology and your your thick ideology yeah well it's it's yeah it's true and i think that's where um yeah, something that I would I, I I've honestly been batting this term around in my head. I call a thick thinnest. There's some people who are so thin libertarian that they're like, you can't be more than this. This is what you are. You're a libertarian. And and like, you know, I made a joke on Twitter the other day about how um some libertarians are like that uh that really needy girl in in high school who was like Wait, you're friends with me. You can't be friends with them too. You know, like you can't be uh, something other than a libertarian. I saw you hanging out with a conservative. How could you hang out with that conservative? Hey, wait a minute. Why are you talking to Tulsi fans? You can't talk to Tulsi fans. You're a libertarian. Well, I can have other friends because I have other things. 
You know, there, there are other things that matter and, and either, either they matter because they matter, like whether they're libertarian or not, or they matter because though they don't have anything to do with libertarianism per se, they do have an effect on that. I think that a, a low time preference, high trust society is necessary for an anarcho-capitalist society. Otherwise, they're going to find another king and put them on the throne. They're just going to establish another state. It's just inevitable. Sure. Can you define a uh, high time preference, low time preference real quick for yeah. people that don't read economics for fun? Well, yeah. Uh, time preference, you know, honestly, to be honest, I don't mediocre economist at best. But this is one of yeah, those. You, you don't need to know the technical, yeah. but you can explain like how you're using it. But a time preference would be like whether or not, I mean, like, okay. So the difference between one kid who gets a quarter and spends it on a gumball and the other kid who puts it in their piggy bank. The first one is a high time preference. They want to spend that money and get something now. I want that gumball. I'm spending that gumball now. Low time preference is saying, you know what? I could spend this on a gumball or I could put this in my piggy bank and get something better later. So now that now there's a tr functionally, there are some things that we are going to be high time preference about. I need to eat in order to live. So I need to be a little high time preference about my next meal. Um, but this is also why poverty, especially institutional poverty, tends to create high time preferences is because they can only think about their next meal. They can only think about, oh, I have money now. What am I going to spend it on? Whereas to become wealthier, you need to be able to think, well, I'm going to spend as little as possible and think long term. But if you are institutionally high time preference, you can't think long term. You know, it's it's a. Uh, it's a right now, right now, right now mentality. And a lot of degenerate mentality is like that. You know, why Why would I want to have sex with the same person forever? So I'm never going to get married. Well, because you don't have a low time preference to think about all that comes with the value of a, of a covenanted, committed, lifetime, lifelong partnership. There's a lot more to it than just... I want my variety and so I'm going to do what I want, you know? Sure. So there's the connection to you, like the rest of your worldview is like, yeah, not only do you believe like that's like morally right, but you also believe that yeah. it leads to I, like a, yeah. a better functioning society. And, and I see this in my church too, right? Like and not necessarily in my church, but in the church in general, I see it like I'm trying to convince, especially, you know, I, I, you know, I'm a youth pastor and I'm trying to convince these like teenagers are naturally high time preference and trying to convince them to think they just haven't been around as long term. So. Right. Yeah. They don't, they don't have a long term to base on, but to try and get them to think long term, especially eternal long term to think, you know, these things are fun. These things that you're doing or just sort of wasting your time on, on your phone or wasting, you know, this is good fun and good short term, but long term, you are going to see much greater joy out of consistently getting in the habit of doing things like reading good books, reading the Bible, prayer, things like that. And, and that's the same thing with, with talking to um, people who are institutionally high time preference, either due to generational poverty or due to the fact that we live in a society that is institutionally high time preference is trying to get them to think 
well, yeah, you don't have a lot of money and the billionaire has lots of money. But think about it. If you tax the billionaire, you're taking away your iPhone. Like that's created by a billionaire who is trying to make more billions. And if you would instead start adapting your lifestyle to think more long-term, the gap between you and this billionaire is not going to be zero. Like you're probably not going to make a million billion dollars, but it's going to be smaller than it is. If you can just adjust your time preference. Yeah. And of course, social trust is the other side of that, that I was talking about that, you know, social trust is, whether or not you believe your neighbor is looking out for you or whether or not you are looking out for your neighbor. And obviously societies with low social trust, where are they going to look for help? The government. Yeah. So a conservative would also value social trust. Yeah. But the difference maybe would be whether they, or not they think a state can institute high time. Yeah. They, yeah. they might think that, that, a. Uh, a state could actually foster that. Yeah. But I think it's a little bit like playing with fire, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's just like outsourcing, just like we outsource our, um, just like we outsource our call to, to care for the widows and orphans. Yeah. It's like we, we outsource our social, social trust in the same way. Yeah. It's like you actually, you don't build it at all that way. Right. Yeah, it's true. Because, I mean, ultimately, and this is the biggest thing, is freedom or liberty necessarily entails responsibility. Like, it's, you know, when when you're a kid and you want your, your parents to leave you alone, what you really want is to be able to do whatever you want. The thing is, you get into the real world and you find out there's a whole host of other reasons why you can't just do whatever you want. Because my money is not just going toward my fun stuff. It's also going toward feeding myself and clothing myself and keeping my car running and my house. Like There's responsibilities that come with being free of my parents. Where sometimes, you know, I, I know that many adults like me have sometimes thought about like, man, I wanted to become an adult so quickly, but... I should have enjoyed being a kid sometimes because I could just blow my money on stupid things because food was going to be on my table because my parents are going to put it there. And, and really that's an, a, an amazing analogy for, you know, like there's some so-called libertarians who want to live a degenerate lifestyle and think that that's the way to promote libertarianism is by, you know, tapping into the stoner mentality and things like that. But truly those people don't want liberty. They want to be able to do whatever they want. They don't want liberty because liberty they want to means be a responsibility. Kid again. They want someone taking care of them so they can blow their money on fun stuff. Oh, I understand left libertarians so much better now. <laughs> right? Yeah, it, and that's I'm not even kidding. It's it's true, but it's it's uh, it's true that that's what liberty entails. And I know a lot of libertarians or many libertarians like to say people are libertarian. They just don't know it yet. But I don't think they are. No, some of them aren't. <laughs> I think they want to, they look like libertarians because they want to do whatever they want, but they only want to do that because someone's fitting the bill or footing the bill for the important stuff. Someone else is going to pay for my housing, my food, 
my education, all these things that I need and that I would have to take responsibility for if someone else wasn't footing the bill for that. But the problem is they're not seeing that that comes with a boot on their neck. And so I, I, that's why I think those two are so vitally connected. My, my conservative viewpoint and my uh, libertarian anarchistic viewpoint is because people, if they want liberty, they're also going to have to learn responsibility. They're going to have to learn how to forego short-term pleasures for long-term goods or what we in kind of the church can sometimes call the difference between mere happiness and joy. Joy is long-term. Joy is harder, but joy is far more worthwhile than mere momentary happiness. And in fact, momentary happiness, if, if pursued in, in, a bat, in a poor way, can severely jeopardize long-term joy. Well, this has been another episode of The Flyover Libertarian. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. And join our email list at www.flyover.page. Thanks. Hey, what's up? Oh, my goodness. What's my intro? <laughs> oh, boy. I hope this isn't like portending something terrible. Ah.